as we dive in here to, to John chapter 11, and we jump into the story, and we're not even, we're actually skipping like 30 verses of chapter 11. We'll refer back to some of them. Um, and what I want you to see here is basically three parts of the story. That we have uh, the Lord Jesus showing us a lot about himself and about his purpose. And Jesus doesn't really operate the way maybe that you or I would. As we look at what Jesus does in the story, we see basically three things. We learn about love, we learn about glory, and we learn about life. So those three things, as we go through this story, um, we really don't learn a lot about Lazarus. We don't know a lot of details about it. We just know he's Mary and Martha's brother, and that he died, and that there was a delay before Jesus arrived. And we learn all of those things in the first part of this chapter. Um, if you read through the early verses, you see that the disciples were worried about returning so close to Jerusalem because already Jesus and the religious leaders had clashed. And it was dangerous for Jesus to appear near Jerusalem once again. Every time he went to the temple, um, it seemed like Jesus had to pass through a crowd so that either the crowd didn't stone him or the religious leaders didn't arrest him because Jesus spoke the truth. Not everybody was happy about what Jesus had to say. And it's, it's so funny that we have so many people kind of promote this view of Jesus as kind of being this warm, soft, cosmic force that would never say anything unkind or untoward. And the fact is Jesus was constantly offending people as he spoke God's truth. And he did not tolerate error. He did not accommodate falsehood. He merely did what was right and shared what was true, and it made him some enemies. And we see that once again at the end of the story here today. So the disciples decide, they go along with Jesus. Thomas even says, let us go that we may die with him early on in the first section of chapter 11. Well, they make the journey, but there's also an indication that Jesus did not immediately rush out the door when he got news that Lazarus was sick. The timing here is very intentional. And in fact, Jesus arrives. Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And they've already had the funeral at this point. They've buried Lazarus. He's in the tomb. The sisters are upset. And we're going to see this first um, conversation between Mary and Jesus that, that she has some confusion, some regrets, and some complaints. And, and she has a faith in Jesus because of their past stories together. Jesus has been to Mary and Martha's house. We have a description of that in Luke chapter 10. There is a relationship recorded between Jesus and these two sisters. Um, and so, really, that's where the focus is, because they've lost their brother. Maybe that's why we don't get very many details about Lazarus, because that's not really the focus of the story. It works out well for Lazarus, of course. But it's it's these sisters learning as they go through great disappointment more about Jesus. And I think that's the lesson that we want to take of it. John's purpose, and it's stated again here in these verses we're going to read, is for us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so all that happens here is simply a backdrop 
so we can see the picture of Jesus and who he really is more clearly. And for that purpose, Jesus arrives, one might say late, not in the nick of time to save Lazarus' life, but four days after he perishes. <coughs> so let's get into our story today. So looking at our outline today, we're first going to look here at how Jesus responds to Mary's reaction to his arrival and a discussion that happens there. And then we're going to move ahead and talk about how um, Jesus actually does raise Lazarus out of the grave over some objections and some obstacles have to be removed before Lazarus is raised from the tomb. So John chapter 11, we'll start with 32. We're going to read a couple of verses at a time as we go through. But as we, as we think about these verses today, a couple questions to have in mind. One is, um, as we look at what Mary says, can you relate to what she said as we get into those verses? And then look at how Jesus responded to her. And what do you think about his response? And another question is, what obstacles did Jesus have to overcome to glorify God in the situation? And understand that that was actually, if we see, his actual purpose. His purpose was not just to help the family or to save Lazarus. Otherwise, he could have arrived much earlier on the scene. But his purpose, just like with the blind man of John chapter 9, was not on helping the person, but on glorifying the Father who sent Jesus to the world. And suddenly when we realize that what is the purpose? Is our purpose to help people alone, or is it to glorify God as we help people? And we have to be careful, I think, sometimes on our faith, not to get so caught up in just helping people that we forget that we need to be glorifying the Lord as we help people. Because we can help people a certain amount, but the Lord can help them far more, not just physically and medically, but spiritually. All right, so let's dive in here. A lesson in love, glory, and life. They almost all begin with that. Pretty close. I tried. But these are the three things, that I, and these things will come out as we go through these six points here. And just a couple verses on each, so I think we'll get to it. All right, let's look at the first three verses here. Verse 32, and we'll get into, into how Jesus responds to Mary a little bit as we look at this here. But as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Now what you should know is that Jesus here is just a little bit outside. Uh, he's not at uh, Mary and Martha's house. Um, he's been there before, but he lingers outside town just a little bit. They lived in Bethany, and Bethany was a village very close to Jerusalem, within walking distance of Jerusalem. And here Jesus kind of arrives. He's already talked to Martha, as we're going to see in a few minutes. And Mary had, when Jesus came, Martha came out right away. Mary lingered. And so at this point, it's not until Jesus calls for her and sends for her personally that Mary comes out. And 
Mary may be the more introspective of the two sisters, and we'll, again, kind of compare them, remind you of some stories here a little later. But she comes out and makes this statement, and in fact, we're going to see it's the same statement that her sister, Martha, made when she came out to meet Jesus. If only you had been here, Jesus. Because they've seen Jesus do miracles, they've seen Jesus heal people. And they have this faith and this confidence that if Jesus had just arrived on time, he could have prevented it. He could have healed Lazarus when he was sick. And Lazarus would still be alive at this moment if Jesus had healed him. They were sure of this, and they were grateful to Jesus for coming. But there's also a hint here of disappointment. And maybe even blame. Have you ever been in a situation and you, and you kind of had to grapple with, God, maybe this is your fault. Like, God, if you had only done this, if you'd only given my radiator grace to go another mile, I could have gotten home. If you had only made that driver pay attention, we wouldn't have been in this car accident. God, if you had only taken charge of that situation, you could have prevented this mess I'm in. And there's certainly at least a hint of that in Mary's words. Lord, if you had been here, this would never have happened. And at the same time, she's praising and expressing confidence in God's ability to solve problems. She's also partly leaving this at Jesus' doorstep. But Jesus, why didn't you get here in time? Is the, is the question. She's not directly accusing God, but there's a hint of it. There's this disappointment in her soul that she's going through this terrible grief of losing, as far as I know, her only brother. Only one I can remember mentioned in scripture, only one mentioned in the story for sure. And he's dead. And in Mary's mind, well, it's over. Jesus, you're late. You didn't get her in time, and now my brother is dead, and you could have done something. There's also the implication from Mary's point of view that now you can't do anything about this, Jesus. You could have fixed this, and now it's unfixable. He's dead. What are we going to do now? right? You don't take someone who's dead to the doctor. Doc, can you do anything? I know it's kind of late, but no. The human doctor can't do anything. In their minds, they knew Jesus could heal the sick. They didn't know anything about raising the dead. It hadn't even entered their mind, as far as we can tell in the story. And But that is why we're here. That is why sometimes we have to go through difficulty beyond what we were expecting or feel like we're equipped for. Because until we go beyond what we can do, we don't understand what God can do. And so they're in this situation and we begin to see why God, why Jesus felt like he had to delay his arrival. Because if he just arrives and heals Lazarus, it's just another day in Jesus' ministry. But this is not just another day. This is a situation where we can really see Jesus' divine power. And when we think, well, Jesus, you can do this, but you can't do this. Jesus is here to say, I can do that too. And so what Mary doesn't understand, she thinks Jesus is late and she's upset and she knows he could have done something, but now Lazarus is dead. So that's her concern. Jesus sees her crying. 
And as you know from the story, Jesus is touched by her sorrow. Jesus is not overlooking the fact that Mary and Martha had to be totally heartbroken about the loss of their brother to set up the situation where God could be glorified. And he's still willing to do it, but he's not disregarding the emotional cost of what the sisters have gone through. It's like Jesus allowed that blind man to go on. It's not the first thing Jesus Jesus grew up in, in Mary and Joseph's home, and, and he, he learned the carpenter trade. He was alive and on this earth for a long time before he ever healed that blind man in chapter 9. But at just the right time to display God's glory, he healed that man with blindness. And here we have the same situation. Jesus is not just randomly healing people, although Jesus certainly spent a lot of time healing people. He didn't like to see people suffer. He liked to set them free from their infirmities. But here there's a greater purpose. It's not just helping people. But it's so we can see that whatever situation we're in, it seems totally hopeless to us. It's not hopeless to Jesus. So Jesus, seeing that not just Mary and Martha, but all that had gathered, it was a very sad week for them. Jews are definitely known for... <coughs> Maybe a, a very public form of, of mourning and expression. They're very expressive people. And a Jewish funeral was not just one-hour service. I mean, they continued. There would be songs of mourning, and, and they would be with the family for several days, and that was continuing to go on at this time. But Jesus had a purpose. Where have you put him? And they probably thought Jesus wanted to just pay his respects, but Jesus had something more in mind, we know, from this very familiar story. But I just want you to see, as Mary makes her statement, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had a faith, and she had a conviction, but it was incomplete. We talk about don't put God in a box. Don't say, God, you can do this, and you can't do this, because God... He's just beyond what we can even imagine, right? Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians? He's able to do above and beyond even what we can ask or imagine. So for Mary, have this view, but she thought it was too late. Jesus, you can do this. You can't do this. And I'm going to say she had an incomplete conviction. Her view of Jesus was too small. As much as she respected him and trusted him and, and believed in him, her faith was too small. She didn't think Jesus could help now. You can do this, Jesus, but you can't do this. Now, I want to hearken back here. Let's go back a little earlier in the story. I just want you to see that it wasn't just Mary, but her sister Martha had the same. She had this limiting view of Jesus. Martha said almost exactly the same thing. I guess sisters talk. They had talked, they had to say, oh, our brother is dead. If only Jesus had been here to save the day. So this was earlier in the story, back in, in verse 20. Martha heard Jesus was coming. She went and met him. The moment she heard he was in town. Martha was a woman of action, by the way. She was the one who was washing the dishes and preparing the meal the first time Jesus came to their house. Mary wasn't quite so industrious, you might recall from that story. Mary sat and listened to Jesus while Mary continued cooking the meal. Martha even complained that Mary was just sitting there listening instead of helping with the meal, if you remember that story. 
So Martha immediately went. As soon as Jesus got in the vicinity, she went out to meet him. But you can see, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Martha did take it a little further. She did say, even now, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. But if you go back and read verse 22 and following, you will see, as Jesus was talking with her, even her faith was still limited. And she kept talking about, yeah, I know we'll have a resurrection at the last day. Martha had not understood that Jesus could help her right where she was. She was expressing some faith, but she didn't really understand what Jesus could do. So they're struggling, and we understand that, right? In the middle of the crisis, sometimes we forget everything we ever learned in Sunday school. It's all about, woe is me, and we're, in, we're, we're processing our suffering. It's only natural, right? We're, it's not academic when you're in the middle of the storm, is it? Right? For all those fishermen knew when the storm arose on the Sea of Galilee, when they were failing water, they were in a panic, right? Until Jesus calmed that storm. But God puts us in those situations beyond what we understand, beyond what we can do, so that we'll turn to him and see what he can do. And they were in that situation, but it, they hadn't dawned on them. Not once did the daughters say, Jesus, please raise Lazarus out of the grave and make him alive again. That question, that request was never made because they didn't realize what Jesus could do. He'd never done that before. Well, Mary and Martha both had this incomplete conviction. I can trust you for this, God, but I can't trust you. I can't ask you for this. Like what? Raise him from the dead? No, you're just too late, Jesus. And so this was part of the story. God is always stretching us, teaching us, learning we can trust him more and more, to do more than we ever could ask or think. So they're in this situation, and their faith needs to grow. And Jesus is willing for you to be sad for a while in order for you to grow. Isn't it almost time for those April showers to bring those May flowers? God uses rain to nourish us, and he allowed this time of sadness. Sometimes we wonder, why did you let this happen, God? But there's always a purpose, right? All things work together for good to those who are his. Not to everybody. Some bad things are punishments. When we disobey him or we don't know him. But here, God is working and they need to grow in their faith. So we also see here that Jesus, again, even though this is going to cause good things, again, he's not disregarding their sorrows. Look at verse 34. I'll pick up there again all the way to 37. And of course, verse 35, if you ever need to memorize a Bible verse, here's the one you pick, right? <laughs> Two words. All right. So verse 34 again, where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how we loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind, blind eyes, sorry, blind man's eyes, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So you see this undertone continues. Jesus, why are you late? Why weren't you here when we needed you? Couldn't he have prevented this tragedy? And so the people who are there at Mary and Martha's house also are laying the blame on Jesus. Did you do something wrong? 
But we saw earlier in the earlier verses that Jesus was deeply moved. But that word in, in the earlier verse there, in verse 33, where he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, that leap led to him weeping. But I wonder, it's not entirely clear. John does not know why Jesus is crying. Why is Jesus crying? Is he crying because he sees Mary and Martha's heartbreak? That's the most straightforward reason. And I think it's definitely part of it. But I wonder if Jesus is also a little frustrated at their lack of faith. You remember in that story I just talked about when Jesus calmed the storm? Immediately after the storm, did Jesus have comforting words for his disciples? Don't worry, guys. I got this. Anytime you're in a storm, I'll be there. Is that what Jesus said after he called the storm? Or did he chastise them, oh, ye of little faith? Jesus' intention for the disciples was always to go through the storm and to trust that they would make it on the other side. Jesus only intervened to calm the storm because their faith wasn't strong enough to, to endure the storm. They were in a panic. And here I think there's also a sense of frustration that word deeply moved indicates indignation. That Jesus, at the same time he's compassionate and touched by their sorrow, is frustrated with them that he's right there and they're upset about a situation that he can easily address. Death is nothing to Jesus. He's the author of life. Jesus can handle this problem. And instead of trusting in him, they're blaming him, and they're upset, and they're hopeless. But he's right there. And I think sometimes Jesus gets frustrated with us because we're at the end of our rope. And we're hanging on to this rope at the last knot of the rope for dear life. Instead of hanging on to him and saying, Jesus, fix this. Jesus, help me. And blaming him instead of asking him to move. And so there's... I think in this, there's a double source of Jesus' sorrow. He's sad that they're sad, and he's sad that they've lost hope. And he's right there. We have to realize that Jesus, yes, he's compassionate, and yes, he cares. But we also have to see what he's able to do. So I think Jesus, he's partly crying, because he, how many times has he been to these sisters' house and shared and taught, and they still don't get it, what he can do? And at the same time, he is sad that they're sad and they're heartbroken. All of that going on here. Look at this in Mark chapter 6. And this is another story where Jesus was frustrated at a people that wouldn't, weren't ready for him to work. Remember when Jesus would go to his hometown and he couldn't do many things. Look at the story from Mark chapter 6. And after he was not able to do a lot, well, you see that coming up in verse 5. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there in Nazareth except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around among the villages teaching. Unbelief always frustrating to Jesus. He's trying to get us to see he is here. If you'll just trust me and believe me, understand who I really am. Your whole situation changes. It's not hopeless anymore. But there has to be faith. 
There has to be faith. And if God's not acting in your situation, maybe it's not time yet. Maybe he's setting the stage for something glorious. And maybe he's not acting in your situation because you're not responding in faith. You're not trusting him. We have to get away from blaming. And we have to say, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you through this storm. And that's where perhaps we put ourselves in a position to see God at work, to see God glorified in Jesus moving in our situation. Well, that's the setup here in the first uh, five verses of our first six verses of our lesson. But let's get to the as we see Jesus, there's no denying it. The people observing when he wept said, see how he loved him. We don't know much about Lazarus, but we know Jesus loved him. Maybe that's all we need to know about that. And he loved Lazarus' sisters. And Jesus was emotionally invested here. No one could deny Jesus' love. Again, mixed with indignation, mixed with frustration, that they, they wouldn't be so sad if they knew what Jesus could do and was about to do. The sadness was kind of unnecessary, but Jesus still wept along with them. But here we go into verse 38. As he grieves with them, knowing that this grief's about to disappear, discussion ensues in verse 38. So let's see it. Jesus, still deeply moved with this mixture of sorrow and indignation, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there was already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I tell you, didn't I tell you, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now here in verse 40, Jesus is referring Martha back to their discussion that he had in verse 22 and following when she first came to him. And they had this discussion, and Jesus would say something, and Martha would give something that sounded like he came from the Baptist faith and message, some kind of doctrinal statement. She never made it personal. She never expressed that she thought Jesus could do something in the situation when Lazarus was already in that tomb. She couldn't wrap her brain around the fact that even in this situation, it's not hopeless. God can do whatever he wants to do. And if Jesus wants to call Lazarus out of that tomb, he can do that. So when Jesus starts to talk about removing the stone, Martha's like, hold up, wait a minute. And one thing I think was going through their mind, Jesus, we already have the funeral. It's too late to pay respects now. He's been dead for four days. His body is in no condition for a public viewing. And maybe even Jesus, don't drag us through this again. We've, we've already said goodbye to him, and it's already broken our hearts. What are you doing, Jesus? And isn't there always somebody who, who has an objection? We want to get new carpet. I don't like that color. Right? It's hard to do things in church. It's hard to get everybody on board because we can't always agree on the way to do things. And Martha said, no, we can't do that, Lord. I'm sorry, but it's a regulation. Right? We've gotten our Jewish laws. After four days, not only will the body be stinking, but that's just not clean. That's not the way we do things here. You're a Jew. You know better, Jesus, than to do this. But, but Jesus wasn't there to have a public viewing. Jesus wasn't there to present a body that was under decay. Jesus has options that nobody else has, right? She's not just someone going in. It's too late to anoint the body. 
Jesus has other plans, and we know what he's going to do. He's going to raise Lazarus out of the grave. But Martha has to get past her objections and her limitations that she's putting on Jesus. She still can't wrap her brain around the fact that Jesus can still fix this situation, that nothing is too hard for God. Well, how many times are we, Martha? You can't do this, God. You can't move our choir director away. We need him. We can't combine the one service. We have all the different styles of music. We can't, you know, proclaim your truth because all these people are moving in and they're going to be offended if they hear what God's word really says. We have all these reasons why we can't do what God told us to do and to be obedient to the mission he's called us to, but guess what? We need to do it anyway because God will empower us to do whatever he wants to do. And if he says, roll the stone away, what would have happened if Martha had never rolled the stone? What if they had just shoved Jesus away and threatened the stone into death, like happened so many times when people got offended at Jesus at the temple, and they just kicked him out of town? How dare you try and open our brother's grave again when we just already had the funeral, right? What would they have missed out on if they had driven Jesus away at this moment? But Jesus had to overcome Mary's objections, Martha's objections, Martha's limitations that she wanted to put on Jesus. We have to remove obstacles sometimes to let Jesus do his work. So are you standing in Jesus' way of doing something in your life and in your family? We have our limitations. Not getting any younger. Society's not getting more godly. There's all kinds of excuses we can give. I'm just going to just, I'm just going to retire into the sunset and let somebody else do stuff in church. I'm so glad that most of you don't have that attitude. You're active. You're doing what you can. Even if all you can do throughout the work is praying for people, you pray for people. You study the word and you, and you, and you, and you find out what the truth is so you can share with those who are confused and those who are seeking and point them in the right direction. And here, Martha eventually lets Jesus do what he wants to do, but he has to convince her, doesn't he? Martha, if you don't roll that stone back, you're going to miss out on what? You're going to miss the glory of God. See, it's not just a story about love. It's a story about glory. God puts us in difficult situations so he can bring us through that situation and glorify himself, and we can see him for who he really is. And if you fight and wrestle with God, you're going to miss out on that glory. You're not going to get that glimpse of Jesus, and you're not going to grow in your faith. And Martha had to relent and allow them to roll that stone away. When everything in her reasoning said, this is a bad idea, Jesus, we don't want to do that. But she had to go along with what the Lord was leading her to do. And so she eventually does relent. Let me show you this. Back in Luke chapter 10, this is a reminder of that story I referred to earlier. This is the first time I think we have this encounter. As Jesus enters the village, he meets Martha and her sister Mary. You see there in verse 39. And Martha, this is Martha. This is the same woman in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She was so caught up in the details. That sometimes she missed what Jesus wanted to do and what Jesus wanted to teach. She was cooking the meal, and she had guests in her house. We can understand that. You get a little preoccupied when you have guests coming over for Sunday dinner. 
There's a lot of preparations to be made. Their roast better turn out, right? You can't have bad roast when you got a big group coming over, right? You got all these things. I say it like I know what it takes to cook a roast, but I mean, I'm just kind of putting myself in your shoes. If I had your cooking skills, I'd be worried about that. All right? And the fact is, and my wife has those cooking skills, thankfully. That's why, that's why, you know, I stay pretty healthy. But the fact is that, um, the fact is that, nearly this could cook, by the way. Um, you know, get to bake some desserts. She's throwing up to it. But the fact is um, that Martha, look at what Jesus told her in verse 41. The Lord answered her. And she was complaining. I'm trying to do all these preparations, and Mary's abandoned me. She's just sitting and listening to you. She's not having help on me anymore. Tell her to come help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Do we need to take Martha's name out and leave your name in? Oh, you, you, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But there's just one thing that's necessary. Come sit at my feet. Listen to me. Follow my instructions. Stop worrying about all the details. I'm a detailed person. Who's going to put Scott's name in that blank too? Scott, you're anxious. You're troubled, but you just need to do one thing. Sit at my feet for a while. Bring me your burdens. Listen to what I'm telling you. And look, roll that stone away, Martha. Roll that stone away, Scott. And let me do what I came to do in your situation. It may be a miracle. It may not. But let Jesus do whatever he wants to do. And trust him with the results and what's going to happen. Not just the assurance that Jesus is here with us and loves us, but God's going to show his glory through how Jesus works in our life. So Jesus had an insistent command. I'm going to roll that stone away, Martha. I told you it's time to see God's glory. Aren't you glad that Jesus is insistent with us sometimes? That Jesus doesn't just take no for an answer when we're his children. But he continues to work on us until we finally get to the point that we're willing to listen to him and obey him. But if there may be times that he does get tired of knocking and we never open. And maybe we miss out on a blessing if we don't give in to his insistent command. Now verse 41. So they removed the stone. They did what Jesus told them to do. There's obedience here, and obedience sets the groundwork for an amazing story, one we all know about. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing around here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. The same thing that John says at the end of his gospel, Jesus here expresses as his purpose for raising Lazarus, so that they may believe he's not just rescuing Mary and Martha from their sorrow. He's not just there to make a name for himself, is he? He's not just there on Lazarus' behalf. 
I miss my old buddy. I'm going to bring him to life again because I miss him. That's not Jesus' motivation here. His motivation is so that you can believe me. I want to show you who I am so that you'll put your faith in me no matter what situation you are facing. They need to believe in Jesus. Even when our brother has been in the tomb for half a week? Yes. Trust me, no matter what happens, believe that God sent me. The same thing that Jesus said earlier in the book of John. He sent me. Believe in me. All right, so here we are. And Jesus has this confidence. Jesus is not praying so that God will do what God already sent him to do. Jesus is praying so that everyone will understand that God the Father sent Jesus for this very moment. And what I want you to know as believers, can we pray with the same kind of confidence that Jesus had? I know you heard me, God. I'm just praying to thank you for hearing me. And so others will know that you get the credit and the glory for what's about to happen. What confidence? Can we have confidence when we pray? Doesn't the book of Hebrews say we could go in boldly to the throne of grace in time of need? It says that in Hebrews chapter 4. And look here in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, the same apostle John, wrote this letter to believers and he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Confidence. Not a hope-so salvation, a no-so salvation. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have of him. Now notice the if we ask according to his will. So don't get disappointed when you ask God to win the lottery and you don't. It might not be his will for you to be rich. Fact is, a lot of rich people aren't happy. Okay? Now, if you pray and God answers your prayer, good for you. Okay? Remember the rest of us little people when you make it big. All right? But understand, God's will doesn't change just because you say a prayer. But as our heart aligns with God's heart, as we pray, doesn't didn't David say in the Psalms that he gives us the lights of our heart? As we delight in the Father, and as our prayers align with his purposes, we start seeing those prayers become answered. So don't stop praying for that grandchild. Don't stop praying for that son and daughter. Don't stop praying for revival. Don't stop praying for Smyrna, Georgia, or whatever community you may find yourself in. Pray for God to move. And guess what? God moves. We have confidence that God will hear us. And as much as our prayers align with his purpose, is going to come to fruition. Because God is in the business of changing this world and saving people. So we can pray with confidence. It may not be what you wanted. But as our hearts align with him, we'll see God answering our prayers. So pray with confidence that God's going to move. It may even be his will to heal someone or bring a community back to life, a resurrection, so to speak, as we see in this story. So Jesus had an informed confidence that if we know the Father, we can have confidence when we pray as well. And we ought to have faith. 
The same thing that Jesus was frustrated about a little bit. You guys stop believing the moment Lazarus passed away. But in every situation, we can come to God with faith. And here we are in verse 43, and we see what happens. And it's a very familiar story. You know what happens. You've heard about what happens with Lazarus. And we've seen the prayer in verse 41 and 42. And now in verse 43, let's see. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. So he's wearing these traditional grave clothes. He still has the grave clothes on. But when Jesus said, get up and come out, he got up and came out. Because nothing is going to keep the word of God from being fulfilled. Jesus is the word. And when Jesus says it, it happens. Now, some have said, I'm not sure, I'm not completely sure about this, but I've heard it said that the reason Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come out, is if he just said, come out, all those graves might have opened up and everybody might have came out. We might have had a whole party on our hands. All those gravestones would have been left and all that dirt would have gone flying, maybe. And he has the power to do that. Is he going to do that on the day of the last trump? Those who've gone before that we said goodbye to, and those who are still here are going to be caught up in the air at the word of Jesus. And we're going to go home. We're going to go to our heavenly home. We have this confidence. And this is where it begins with God raising one brother from death to show us he can raise us all. And eventually he's going to raise himself. And then the resurrection is our hope. That's our hope. Not on the news headlines. Not on the economy. Not on... You know, what percent of some community says that they're born-again believers? Our confidence is in Jesus Christ who raises the dead. That's our confidence. And if he can raise the dead, what can't he do? The answer is there's nothing he can't do. He can do anything. He's our hope. And whatever happens if this body decays, if this body completely breaks down and ceases functioning, if 10 years from now my mind is a blank slate and I can't remember any of your names or faces, God is still going to raise me up from the grave. I have an eternal hope. Don't you? Our hope is in Him. And God who glorifies and when we see God for who He really is in the story, we see Jesus' power. Ah, shame on me forever doubting that God can help me in my situation. Shame on me for looking at the problem, thinking it's so big, and looking at how fierce the storm and the winds were blowing, and thinking that could hold the candle to the God of the universe who loves me and watches over me every day and hears my prayers. Lazarus got up out of that grave, and Jesus said, this problem is not too hard for me. I can still deal with your situation, Martha, if you just trust me and let me do what I came here to do. So he gets up out of that grave with a single cry. And isn't that our hope? Romans chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We need to live as a people who have been raised from the grave. Our hearts have been made new, and we have a future hope. And if we've been made new, we ought to live like it. Not only should we live in hope, but we ought to live in holiness. If the Jesus who raises us 
that raises people from the grave is going to raise us from the grave, and we're going to go to heaven. We ought to live like citizens of heaven, too. So there's two parts of this. The confidence in prayer we've already talked about. That God can do above all we ask and think. He can even raise the dead out of the grave. And the fact that just as Jesus raised the dead by the glory of God the Father, as it says here in verse 4, we too should walk in newness of life. We ought to live as different people. Stop living like Lazarus is dead. Stop living like Jesus can't raise people out of the grave. Jesus is Lord. God is glorious, can do anything he wants to. You're on the winning side, so live as the citizen of heaven you are. Stop letting this world discourage you from doing what God commanded you to do. So, Jesus gives us an invigorating cry. Lazarus, come forth, and indeed, even though he's been dead for four days, nothing is going to stop Jesus' word from being fulfilled. One last thing to note in the story. Everything here, we could stop right here, and everything is great. But not everybody was happy about this story. You want to guess? Who's not happy that Jesus did raise some from, someone from the dead and is indisputably now the servant of God who has come, and most undoubtedly the Messiah? Who else is going to raise somebody from the dead? Isn't this the Messiah we've been really waiting for? And who's not happy about this? The Pharisees, yep, let's look at it. Verse 45. Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. That was the proper reaction. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And my goodness, what are they going to do now? How can they argue against the man who just raised someone out of the grave? But the Pharisees didn't respond in faith. Their resistance grew more heated. Let me show you. We'll close. When Paul preached to the Greeks, the pagan Greeks in Athens, he shared the message about, hey, we're God's offspring. Here's this altar to the unknown God. We shouldn't think we're made of silver or gold. In verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked but he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Whatever people might say resistant to the gospel, you can still tell them there's an empty tomb that proves that Jesus is who he said he was. And for this reason, the Pharisees suddenly realize they're out of their depth. They're out of their depth. How can they even deal with the crowds who are following Jesus? Well, there's only one way. They're going to have to try and get rid of Jesus. Now they realize, and the discussion continues in chapter 11. The high priest says, one man must die so this nation can continue. So ironically, because Jesus is the one that raises the dead, the Pharisees decide the only way they can get rid of him is to kill him off. Good luck with that. We all know how Easter turned out. They play right into God's plan of redemption. But there were two reactions to Jesus. Some were delighted and some were enraged. You can expect the same reaction when you share the gospel. Jesus had critics who were infuriated because of all the stuff he was doing. And it's still the same today. You keep doing good, and don't let the critics stop you. They may get mad that you're sharing truth, 
that you're serving people compassionately. You can't, no one's ever going to be happy, right? No matter what color of carpet, someone's going to complain. It's okay. It's okay. You keep doing what God called you to do. Don't give them a good reason to criticize you, but keep doing what God called you to do. That's the summary of the story. Love, Jesus walks through us, even in our times of doubt and in our problems. Glory, God has a purpose for every situation he sends your way. And three, he is the author of life. And one day, all of us will be raised to live in his presence in heaven forever. Whatever happens, you can trust in that. Put your hope and confidence in him today. Well, we've gone a little long. So let's close up in prayer. Briefly, Lord, we thank you. You are the resurrection and the life. So many things we may not be happy about, we could complain about, that worry us, that frustrate us. But we know that there's no problem too big for you. Lord, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you that we can go boldly to the throne of grace. and We can find grace to help in time of need. Lord, just be with us and forgive us for having a small faith, for making you small and our problems big. Our problems are small compared to the glory of God that's present in Jesus Christ, who ushers our prayers into your presence. Thank you for Jesus, our high priest, and help us to place our hope in him and grow in our faith more and more that we can go through life triumphantly, whatever challenges we might have to overcome in any time. Thank you for your word, and help us to continue to grow as we see this picture of who you really are in John chapter 11. In Jesus' name, amen. I may have asked a question a little earlier.